We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you pardon and cleanse within. And Lord, uh, we, we just now take that opportunity. We don't want to let it just slip by to marvel at the wonder of you forgiving sins. And so church, if, if there's any unconfessed sins, we just, just pause and give you the time to become right before the Lord. the list is long of our sins but your mercy and your grace is so much greater so we thank you for the power that is at work through your son Jesus in each of our lives and and now we just ask that that same great strength and power be at work now to open our hearts and to soften our hearts, our lives, to your word, to your will. Lord, we just sang that you're king. Help us to surrender uh, to that truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, kids, you may be dismissed. Kids off to the lights, ministry. Thank you, thank you. Well, last week we had a, a um, spaceship on the stage from VBS, and that was fun. Um, this week, uh, we're going to just, prior to jumping into the Word together, um, it's the first Sunday of each month, and so we've devoted our time as a, as a congregation to pray uh, for different people groups, to pray for uh, different churches, uh, different YMCAs as a part of uh, our mission. And uh, this Sunday, I think last month, we shared that we're going to devote some time to praying for the people group called the Unborn. Um, as you know, we've been growing in this area. Our hearts are swelling to be um, more concerned, more aware, and more active in the area of uh, ministering to our community, um, to be about the business of missions, even to those who have not yet been born yet. And so um, we've we've shared a lot about um, different pregnancy centers. We had a, a guy come up and, um, and speak about it. Um, we want to pray this Sunday about it. And so... Um, just to um, just to share with you what it's like to pray as a congregation, um, we've we've been in families, we've been in our homes, we've been alone all week, and so when we come back to the church, uh, sometimes it's easy to be like, all right, five minutes for me to like check out. Well, uh, that's the time when the pastor dude prays, um, and so what do I do again? How do I pray with other people? Um, and so I would just. Um, I would just encourage you as you as we learn how to pray together as a as a congregation that it's very good and healthy to while one person is praying to affirm them even with your voice. And so if 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 I pray something um, to to as you as the congregation, if if that rings true in your heart, to just with your voice say yes, Lord, or yes, Amen. 
or mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can do that. That's not, that's not just Christianese. That's you um, uh, praying along with me. And so let's pray together. Not just me pray, but let's pray together for the unborn and ask God to do a great work in this community and in this country. And then we'll say a few things afterwards about it. Would you bow your heads with me? And so, Father, we, uh, we trust You with something that is, uh, that is very evil going on in our country. We're trusting You um, with the hearts of men and women that seek after ease and comfort over responsibility and the nobility of parenting a child. And so would you, Lord, do a great work in people's hearts, mamas that have unexpected pregnancies, new dads that just found out, would you do a great work to help them realize that children are such a blessing from the Lord? Lord, when they fear... um, finances. I pray that one more mouth to feed won't be that um, unattainable or unrealistic. Lord, I pray for churches in this area that they would be bold. Lord, that we would be bold and we would have the confidence and the gentleness to step into conversations with people. Lord, that we would, um, would trust You and depend on Your Spirit. Lord, that we would reject fear. Lord, we do pray for life forward. And we ask that You would give them great strength as they minister to two, three, four women a day that are considering the decision of abortion. The enemy loves to steal and kill and destroy. What is he wanting to steal today, this week? Lord, we don't, we don't know all those answers, but we know that you are king and in control. And we know that you utilize your church like soldiers. And so we pray that, that the army would rise up. Lord, we, we, we ask even for this church that if the opportunity to adopt is available, that we would say yes. Yes as a church. Yes as a people who would care for another family that would, would take care of children. Lord, would you give us a heart for that ministry to display the love of the Father? And Lord, we do pray um, for this vote that is to come this Tuesday. Lord, that Christians would see clearly and that our Constitution would be protected in such a way as to protect the defenseless and the unborn. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for praying with me. Just a quick note on Tuesday. Uh, sometimes um, as a church, as churches get a little nervous when it comes to um, the laws of the land, politics, voting. Um, and let me just say, I don't think we need to get nervous about, about this one. Um, we see all throughout Scripture Christians being involved in politics, being involved um, serving the king, things like that. We studied Daniel together. You, got, you know the story of Joseph. Um, so it's, it's not taboo, uh, just, to, just to share with you as a, as a fellow believer. Um, there is an important vote on Tuesday, um, and it's dealing with the protection of the Constitution. Um, and um, I, I, would, I would research, um, I would look to Christian, various Christian websites. Um, I would look to fellow believers in your church for guidance on that. Um, But if you're looking um, to me and your elders right now, let me just say that um, uh, to vote in the way of yes would be one to protect the Constitution.
Um, the Constitution right now in, in Ohio is 50% uh, plus one to sway it. And this uh, vote would raise, would raise it to 60%, which would mean it would be difficult to sway the Constitution. The Constitution's a good thing and uh, we wanna protect it. And so um, if you could find time uh, this Tuesday, um, I think that would be a wise use of your time. Um, and uh, this, this, you'll hear more about November coming up, but this is an important and a significant one. If you want a point of contact, um, Faith has done an incredible job. And then also we have a Sanctity of Life team that would be glad to counsel you through um, th this, this vote. And so if, uh, uh, let me just encourage you to be concerned about it, to be mindful of the next generations and to make it uh, a priority on Tuesday. Does that sound good? Well, um, let's, let's begin our time together in the word. Today, sola gratia, by grace alone. Grace alone. So we're back in the solas. Last week we took a little break, spent some time in the Psalms. And now we've been marching through. We've, we've finished scripture alone. And then we're going to march through these grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. And so this Sunday... Um, is grace alone. These, these cries are like stakes in the ground for Christianity. They've always been true. Um, for example, um, men and women in the Old Testament, they've, they, they became followers of Yahweh by faith alone. It's always been true. But these certain cries, originally in Latin, and now we obviously say them in, 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 in English, come out of a certain context in history that we call the Reformation. And um, this Sunday, I want to explain to you the context in which they were needed. Um, the need to reform back to a pure gospel. These solas, they're, they're called, are cries of the Reformation. And this was a time when the church when Christians were led astray. And so the Reformation called, called believers back to the pure Gospel, back to following Scripture. And so in order to, to communicate and display the times in which they're needed, I'd like to, to walk you through what uh, the development of doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church, how it occurred, and how it was laid out. So this morning, um, as I'm giving you the scope of the context um, of which the Reformation came about, um, I, I, want you, um, I want you to receive this uh, in such a way where, you tr where it's at the end of the time, you're going to treasure grace more. You're going to love Jesus and appreciate salvation. Where your posture is not going to be um, oh, we got this right and they got this wrong or something like that. Um, but I, I also want you to receive it from me in such a way where um, you know that I'm not attacking um, your family member, your mom or dad, grandma and grandpa or whatever, that is Roman Catholic. Um, my role as an elder of this church uh, from Titus 1 says that I need to I need to refute the bad doctrine, and I need to uphold good. Everyone likes to uphold good. Um, it's hard to do this side. It's hard to refute bad. And so if you would just be praying that, that, that part of the role of, of this sermon is to do both for you this morning. I've been praying through a verse in Philippians. Uh, it's Philippians 4, 5. It says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. And so I'm praying that you would receive it as well in a very reasonable manner. That uh, reasonable means that arguments are laid out not in an emotive or manipulative way that distorts truth, but that you would receive truth and go, that is very reasonable to me. The, the truth is laid out in such a way where... Where, where I don't have to argue with the guy who presented it or, um, or anyone else. I just see it, and it's, 
It makes sense. It's true and, and reasonable. So that's my heart. I want to be reasonable in mind and heart uh, for our church this morning. Are we together? So um, here's a timeline, a development of doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church, which will lead to the need for the Reformation. In 431 AD, 431 AD, long time ago, okay, the Roman Catholic Church proclaimed that infant baptism regenerates the soul. This doesn't mean that baptism, according to their doctrine, gets rid of all sin, but the, per the performing of the water to the infant um, washes away what is called original sin, according to their doctrine. Original sin is what we have inherited from Adam and Eve, the sin that they performed. And so therefore, in the Roman Catholic Church, if you are born again, really what they're saying is you have been baptized as an infant. You are now born again. Uh, this, however, doesn't mean that you change inwardly. This, according to Vatican II, this uh, begins the process of making you a Christian. 431. In 500 AD, the Mass was instituted. It was a reenactment of the sacrifice of Jesus. Mass is not another way to say, oh, that's basically our service. They just call it something different. Mass um, means this. It's defined as a continuation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary, which carries on the work of redemption, appeases the wrath of God, and atones for the sin of the living and the dead. This is not um, my interpretation. I'm just reading uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church by Ignatius Press, printed in 1994, page 1,371 and page 1,414. Reasonable. In 1000 AD, attendance at Mass was made mandatory under the penalty of mortal sin. Mortal sin is something within the Catholic doctrine that says that if you commit a volitional, um, you know, and, and you do a sin on purpose, um, then you must pay for it in purgatory. Purgatory is a uh, way to describe their hell, which um, is a way to pay for your sins. You can go to purgatory, pay for the, or atone for your own sins, and then get out of purgatory and go to heaven. Mortal sins... If you commit them, no matter how much good you have done, mortal sins separate you from God. That was 1000 AD. In 1090 AD, the granting of indulgences was established to reduce time in purgatory. Uh, um, purgatory, again, this, this way of describing a temporary hell that you you can earn yourself out of, and you can do good works and make payments in order to get dead relatives out as well. Indulgences, all that means is um, a good works or payment to receive a certificate. A certificate um, will be a voucher for you in purgatory, or again, your um, dead relatives. If you do this within your life, you can reduce the amount of payment within purgatory. These indulgences were brought about in the Roman Catholic Church during a time when, um, when they needed funds. It was a method of fundraising. And therefore, when priests and other leadership of the Catholic Church uh, would come about to different towns and um, different people. They would sell indulgences um, using high methods of manipulation. As a result, a, a, a phrase came about within um, Roman Catholic um, history 
Uh, and it went like this. Every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So that means when you'd pay for an indulgence, um, so a coin would, would hit, hit the bottom of the plate, if you could hear it, that would mean that mom or dad or, or grandma and grandpa would, could come out of purgatory um, in a less amount of time. And so you can imagine the guilt that people were experiencing during that time. Should I give to the church? And if I do, then grandma can get out of purgatory. Or should I keep this for myself and allow her to suffer? I'm not saying it like this um, to be cute or sarcastic or even punchy. I'm just saying it as it was. These were the manipulative pressures that people were facing as a result of bad doctrine. And so far, friends, brothers and sisters, um, like me, you should be a little bit squirmy in your seat. Um, to say the least, um, the reformers those who began to see false teachings uh, in the church, they, they began to rise up and move towards the Lord and hold fast to Scripture and say, enough is enough. We've got to do something about this. And so the famous act of Martin Luther happened. He was the catalyst, one of the catalyst men of the Reformation, where he wrote up 95 theses, uh, against what was happening um, in, 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 in what he was seeing around him. And he posted on the door of a church in Wittenberg, which was a very common thing. It would be just like posting on Facebook or Twitter or whatever to say, this isn't right. And publicly, I need to say that some reform has to happen. Now, um, uh, if you're like me, you're kind of like, eh, about history, right? Some of you just love history and could just bask in history all day long, right? So let me just like bring it to like modern day, what you, what you might be feeling right now and what you could feel, okay? Here we go. So imagine you're in that time. It's a dark time. You don't have the word. You're craving truth, okay? And then the printing press gets invented. The Gutenberg printing that printing press. And you get, your family gets a Bible, or your, your community gets a Bible, and you rally around it, and, and the Spirit moves, and you like have fresh eyes, and someone reads you the Bible. But particularly, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans 3. 23 and 24. You no longer have to depend on the priest. You no longer have to go, what did he say again? I don't speak Latin again. Just tell it to me in my own language. And so you open this Bible and for the first time, you read it as God intended. You read God's Word. You read about grace. Ready? Watch this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, 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 I knew that part. That's why I'm paying so much money. And are justified by His grace. Watch this. As a gift. through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine during that time reading those verses for the first time going, oh, what? Where has that been? That's been in here the whole time? That's great. I'm angry. That's great. I love it. How could you? Do, do you can you feel all those, all those emotions? 
reading that for the first time, it's a gift. It's, I don't have to merit it. I don't have to earn it. It's not on me. I've had this weight on my back my whole life. And now, this is, I love technology. The printing press is awesome. Thank you guys who have given their lives for the translation of Scripture. I've been hearing this whole time that we've got to merit salvation for ourselves. And I've been hearing grace, but I've been, I, I, I've, I've been hearing an S added to it. These graces. And I've got to do these seven sacraments, these graces, in order to inherit and earn eternal life. Roman Catholic Catechism, page 2027. But Romans 11.6 says, it is not because of their works. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. Turn in your Bibles to... Let's just delight in the Scriptures and the truth of grace alone. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8. Imagine reading this for the first time. Oh, no, that was Paul. Oh, that's just New Testament. Is that a message of the Scriptures? Psalm 47. Watch this. Verse 7 and 8 again. Yet in no way can a man redeem himself or pay his own ransom to God. Too high is the price to redeem one's life. He would never have enough. Wow. Say that again. Amen. And of course, I mean, you're just waiting for me. Like, oh, come on, Pastor. Land here, please. I, I can anticipate it. It's Ephesians 2, what? 8 and 9. Everyone loves this. This is like this is like pillar of our faith. Turn towards it. Let's see it with our eyes again, okay? Some of you haven't memorized. Here we go. Ready? For by grace you have been through. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is such good news. If you're not there already, go ahead and land in Ephesians 2 for a moment. And let me read to you verse 1. Okay? For by grace I've been saved through faith. Alright, now uh, now picture when you were like in elementary school and you had uh, those little milk cartons that you were, like, were really hard to open. You know, those like little triangle deals. And you're about getting ready to drink it and like, you are in a little bit of a rush because you have 20 minutes to eat your lunch. And if you're a guy, you're into like trading football cards or baseball cards. So you're like, oh, you know, and you're just doing things like really fast. And you're about to like drink it. And someone says something funny or maybe you're just like speeding up or whatever. But I am promise 100% of people have experienced this where it goes down the wrong pipe and it comes out the wrong pipes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're drinking the milk, and you're like, and you're just like, either you were too excited about something, maybe there was a card you wanted, or like, maybe you were in a rush, but whatever happened, milk gets all over the table. Anyone been there before? I've only read about it. I've only read about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Okay. So, uh, I'm going to make the impossible jump. There is this Greek phrase in this passage that almost does the same thing where Paul is writing and he's so logical and his arguments are flowing and all of a sudden he is in the elementary schoolroom and he goes because he's so excited that milk just comes right out of his nose okay are you ready we're going to start in verse one it's going to talk about the depravity of man and our human condition and then Paul is so excited, before verse 8, he's going to tell you the good news. I'll spell it out for you when we get there. Here we go. Here's the bad news first. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Summary, you were all followers of the devil. And need to. 
Verse 3, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. <laughs> That's how it reads. You see, uh, the translators, the, the people I'm preaching on the ESV, the translators wrote these little dashes in there. No one knows how to organize this. They're like, where did this come from? It came from excitement. He was waiting. He couldn't wait any longer. He was like, I'm going to tell them they're saved by grace. I'm going to tell them it's through faith. I'm going to tell them it's a gift. Ah, ah, it's too early, but I have to. That's what he's doing. By grace, you have been saved. Okay, now I'm going to continue. I'm sorry with the logical progression. I just had to tell it to you because I know you were waiting for it because it's such good news. Because verses 1, 2, 3, oh, we're so bad. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. <sighs> For by grace you have been saved. That's how it reads. This church is the most exciting news. Uh, definitions. I like it when grace and mercy are defined together. It helps me understand them a little bit more. Mercy is said uh, something that you don't receive even though you deserve it. Mercy. You're not receiving something even though you do deserve something. Okay? Grace. Receiving something even though you don't deserve it. Okay? You get something even though you didn't earn it, you didn't merit it, like you didn't get it because you're cooler or smarter or better looking or whatever. But grace, you get something. Mercy, you don't get something. And both are a blessing. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is death. Eternal separation from God. You don't deserve forgiveness of sins. You don't. You deserve death. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is life with Christ. So I'm going to just make two statements about grace today. Okay, Number one, grace is a gift. Um, I remember one of my first sermons I ever preached. It was in Swahili, and it was on this text. Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 10. And I remember, um, I remember pulling up a, 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 a volunteer from the audience. And I gave away um, in Moshi um, some Ndizi Kisukari, which means sugar bananas. These little tiny bananas that I just fell in love with when I was in Africa. So I bought a, some bananas. They're like a dollar for a whole cluster of them, okay? Is it cluster for bananas? Or is that just grapes? A, a bunch, a bushel, a, <laughs> I don't know. There was there was grapes. I mean, there was uh, bananas though. Okay, there was there was bananas, and I said, "Who would like some bananas today?" And you know, everyone was like, "Yes!" And it's like, "Well, they're a gift to whoever would like to come up." And uh, and so, who who would like some? Who would like? Them? So so this guy came up. And uh, I remember, I'll just, I'll, um, I'll just hold up my Bible for now uh, to represent bananas. Um, and so I said, well, these bananas are now his. Here you go, right? They're a gift to you. And you can have them for free. You don't have to earn it. And he was like, great. And I, if you know me well, I enjoy just a little bit of uh, awkwardness in relationships, you know, like jokes and like I love a little bit of awkward pause. And so I'm like, isn't this great? They're his bananas. <laughs> I 
uh, congregation, when, when are these bananas his? That's right, when he takes them. Good, okay. So they're my bananas. They're being offered. They're being a gift. When are the bananas his? And he took them in the congregation. Ah, bananas, no, you know, everyone's going, right? And it was cool because this is a testimony of where God uses weaknesses. But I remember first sermon in Swahili. Man, did I even, was I even orthodox? Did I even say things right? There was a guy who became a Christian because of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. All I really had to do was just read it, you know? But and he came to learn now he's going to be in eternity with us. It's an oversimplification of, of uh, salvation, but it's true. You must receive Christ. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. But even in our language, our language is insufficient to describe the mystery and the beauty of salvation. Because we could easily, um, because of our flesh and our, just the way our human mind and heart works, we could just receive this statement of, well, Mike says, you must receive. You can receive that as, I must receive it in my own strength. And I received it because I got it. My own intellect, my own ability put me in the position to receive it. I received those bananas. I received the free gift of God because I was the one who came up. I took them from Him to become my bananas. Uh, that was me. <laughs> do, you, do you see how the mind works? And it's really enticing. It's actually not popular. And we don't want to be told the, the magnitude of God's power and His, His understanding and plan of salvation. But let me just like unlock what happened in this exchange from its offered to he received it. It's described like this. It's th these are um, theologians called the Ordo Salutis, Latin for the order of salvation. You see, long before that guy came up and took the bananas, long before you received Christ, God chose you. He placed His affections upon you in His good pleasure, He wanted you. We say, He elected you. And there was a calling that went out that you experienced that happened through human means. Human proclamation goes out. We say often here, Romans 10.17, that faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word. And there was a calling that went out and there was a drawing that began by the Holy Spirit to you. And before you even received, there was that transaction. God opened your heart called regeneration. He softened it. He totally transformed and changed it. And He took the heart of stone, which was a deadbeat. And we read it in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Because dead things can't come alive. Dead things can't choose. They're like this. Until God breathed life in you and went boop, 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 boop. Regeneration is to those who have been called, God secretly imparts spiritual life. He brings light to the heart, the soul. And then comes conversion where we willingly respond to the Gospel through faith and repentance. Is that a work? No! That's a gift! That's what we're talking about. It's grace alone. Faith and repentance is a gift from God, says Augustine of Hippo. When we are converted and we are justified, God declares us righteous. And then we're adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit is given to us. We're sealed until the day of redemption. And we're granted eternal life. All this, friends, is a gift. Martin Luther, long quote, 
Hang with me. Ready? He says, God has surely promised His grace to the humbled. That is, to those who mourn over and despair of themselves. But a man cannot thoroughly be humbled till he realizes that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, counsels, efforts, will, and works, and depends absolutely on his will, counsel, pleasure, and the work of another, God alone, as from the bondage of the will, page 100. Only those who have given up all self-reliance can be saved, who lay it down and go, God, you got to save me because (laughs) I can't do it. And I didn't want to do it because I loved my sin, myself, and everything else. This gift, that's the statement. Grace is a gift. Am I to understand this gift as like last year's Christmas present? This toy that I got, that I loved for like the first week or two, and then by February I was like, eh, let's let it collect dust. Is the gift of grace like that forgotten Christmas toy? Where you where you you like it for a while, but then it's forgotten and you just move on? Is it like that? No. Is that what our salvation is like? No. Is that what grace is like at salvation? No. So what about in sanctification? What about in growing in Christ? Does grace matter at all in growing in Christ? What is its function? How does it work? Or is it just to be forgotten? Friends, we're going to be studying this for the rest of our lives. Whole entire books are devoted to this question. The whole book of 1 Corinthians. Galatians, for instance. Hey, you guys were saved by grace? Why are you trying to grow by the law? Let me write Galatians for you. (laughs) okay uh colossians 2 says just as you have been saved uh verse uh verse 6 7 and 8 just as you have received him continue to grow in him well how did i receive him by grace so i grow in grace how does that work let me just uh, describe that uh, in a way of, a, of a, a conversation that we're just going to make up between three people, okay? Um, so three people are sitting at Winans, our local coffee shop. We've got a Roman Catholic. We've got a Bible-believing Christian. And then we got a guy who we're going to call Cheap Grace, okay? Cheap Grace was a term invented uh, in World War II by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, that, uh, he said this about Cheap Grace. This is an understanding a faulty understanding of cheap grace, of grace. Uh, it's a means of justification of sin without justification of the sinner. It's grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace plans to have heaven without holiness, salvation without sanctification, forgiveness of sins without forsaking sin. Hmm. So that's cheap grace, okay? And so the guy who, uh, who's called cheap grace is the guy who Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He speaks of justification by grace alone as a deer's head mounts motionless upon a wall. It is a carcass of orthodoxy. It's dead. So here we are in our local coffee shop, okay? And um, the Roman Catholic says, well, I believe in grace alone too. I'm, telling, I'm, I'm shaping it like this to equip us as well to have conversations, okay? Hey, I, I'm all about grace alone. And the Christian goes, what? Really? I thought that was just us pro- Protestants. How can you say you're about grace alone? And the Roman Catholic says, yeah, we love grace. We talk about grace all the time. We have seven forms of grace that we are all about 
where people perform these seven things and they get grace dispensed to them in part, in part, in part, in part, in part. You get pieces of grace all the time in the Roman Catholic faith. And the Christian goes, oh, so grace is. Okay, tell me more about that. Because I think we're using similar language, but we've got different definitions. It's kind of like me at the gym this week. I've started training for something called the uh, Guardian Games. And one of the events is the um, wall ball throws. And I picked up this big 20-pound wall ball. And I was throwing it against the wall like this because I have to do it 100 times August 19th. Okay, So I'm trying to train myself. And the uh, owner of the gym comes over and he goes, Newman, what are you doing over there? And I said, wall ball throws. And he goes, that ain't a wall ball throw. I said, yes, it is. And he goes, and he picks up this ball and he goes, that's a wall ball throw. And there's this like large piece of iron with a blue line over it. It's like eight feet up. And you have to take this ball and throw it above the blue line. And I go, can I just hit the, can I just hit the piece of iron? And he's like, I mean, if you want to, I won't say what he said. But he said, <laughs> you were there. <laughs> he said, no, no, that's the, that's the version. Um, and so uh, I was defining wall balls in a very convenient way for me. It wasn't so bad. And now wall balls are so bad. Okay. And so we're in this coffee shop and the Christian just realizes, oh, we're using same words different definitions. Cheap grace guy, he's in the conversation too. And he puts down his coffee and he goes, oh, I love grace alone too. Oh, sola, you know, oh, I love the solas and sola gratia, let's do it. Grace alone, I can come to Christ and I can live however I want to and he'll forgive me and I'll go to heaven. Doesn't matter what I do, grace alone. And the Christian goes, And the Roman Catholic guy goes, throws his coffee on the floor. He goes, you see? That's what's the matter with you Protestants. You don't care anything about obedience. You don't take discipleship seriously. And the Christian guy goes, cheap grace? Stop saying it like that. <laughs> and then he goes, I'll tell you what, we're all getting a little bit worked up. Let's... Uh, Let's finish up our time and, um, and let's just think through this and pray through this and, and let's meet up again, okay? And so the Christian is walking down the street a week later. He's been praying about his conversation. He's been going to the Word. And then he sees Cheap Grace Guy and goes, oh, I've been meaning to show you what is so amazing about grace. You see, I think you got it, that it's a gift. But I want to show you that it's power to change a man. I want to show you that it actually is efficacious in your life. It's effective. It works. Can I show you, bro? Yeah, sure. Could I show you? Let's go to Titus chapter 2. The second statement is grace is the power of God to change a man. Titus 2, uh, verse 11, and I'll read all the way through 14. And you're asking, what's the big deal about grace? I'm, I, 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 I receive that. I should be done with that now, right? Uh, it's a gift and salvation. And watch the power and the transformative effects in your life now. This should change your prayer life. This should change your strategy. This affects how you trust in God. This, this affects how you wake up Monday morning. Here we go. Ready? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing, notice the tense, the ING, currently, continuously, Bringing salvation for all people. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. I got salvation. What else though, Newman? Watch this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, 
upright, and godly lives in the present age. Even more, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Grace trains a man and woman. Sharpens them. It helps them to live godly lives in a manner that is self-controlling, that is self-controlled. Grace is transformative. It's power. Back to Ephesians 2. You're like, oh man, I memorized verse 8 and 9. I just love 8, 9, 8, and 9. What about 10? 10 is like the very purpose of why you were saved. Let me read it for us. It says, for we are His workmanship for, that's an explanatory clause, why were we saved by grace through faith? So that we don't have to boast in our works. Why? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, and here we go, Protestants get a little nervous about this, for good works. All right! For good works. We were saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Listen to this. God's grace is never dependent on our own good works. Good works for our sanctification are always a result of God's grace in us. This week, um, this week I was reading my quiet time, and I'd like to just end our, 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 our service um, with with three things, but end our sermon like this. I want to end in worship, okay? I want to end in a testimony time. Psalm 147, verse 1 says, you don't have to go there, let me quote it for you. Praise the Lord, for it is fitting and right to praise Him. It's fitting. It makes sense. It's the reasonable thing to do. You ever think that uh, Christians, we fall under the cliche of uh, saying, oh, it's by God's grace that we blank. It's by God's grace that we came here. Oh, yeah, we made it safely. It's by God's grace, right? And we kind of use that a little bit flippantly. If God's grace is powerful enough to save us and powerful enough to sustain, carry, and change us, grace in the middle, not just grace, salvation, and grace one day in heaven, but grace now, if it's powerful enough, then let's praise Him. 